Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Hey, good morning. Come on, somebody make some noise for Jesus this morning. Very first Sunday of the year together. I mean, you ready to receive all the promises that God has made you for 2024? Man, it's going to be a good year for you. I, I'm just believing God for that. And uh, this Wednesday night, what we're doing, we are doing our team night this Wednesday night. Uh, but we want to encourage anybody that wants to come and pray and fast with us to come on Wednesday night. You're more than welcome to. If you're not serving on a dream team as of yet, come Wednesday night. We're going to celebrate uh, some of the team, some of the teams that have just gone above and beyond. And we're going to have some fun together. And then I'm just going to talk a little bit about prayer and fasting and we're going to kick off, we're going to tithe the first quarter of the year to the Lord in prayer and fasting. So we're going to fast on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. We're going to break the fast Friday night and uh, we just we just want, we want to get ourselves prepared to break through some things that may have been hindering us this past couple of years and we want to see breakthrough in 2024. So if you've never prayed and fasted before, come and join us. I'll, we'll teach you how to do it. Um, there's going to be some information on our app and on our website. A lot of great things going on. And then for our Man Up Monday, I've got a special guest speaker that's coming in. Coming in and uh, we're flying him in from Australia. He's a friend of mine by the name of John Cameron. He's going to be with us. He's going to be doing some, uh, some leadership discipleship on that Saturday morning. Um, not next week, but the week after that. And then he's going to speak on Sunday and he will minister at our Man Up Monday. So it's going to be a great time. And also, uh, we've got everything uh, getting ramped up for our 2024 very first Men's Transform Conference right here. Come on. And uh, if you open up your apps, for all the men, if you open up your apps, you can go ahead and register now. It, registration is open and it's, we're making it available for all of the network. And we've got some, some heavy hitters coming in. To be with us, we have Pastor Anthony Fleming from Church Alive in New Jersey, the one that authored the book, Transform, that we had all of our men go through last year. So he's going to be speaking. And then we've got our homegrown favorite, or our hometown favorite, Pastor John Morgan. He's going to come, and he's going to open up the conference um, for the men's uh, conference. And then he's going to stay with us till Sunday. And he's going to be ministering at all services. So we've got a, a, a power-packed next couple of months. And we don't want anybody to miss out. And for any of the ladies, you want to bless your husbands, get register them for the Man Up Conference, for the Men's Transform Conference. It's going to be a, a good time. And uh, let me just also say, I didn't get to say this in the first service. Um, 8.30 service was halfway packed out. So... Uh, man, I'm excited to see what God's going to do in this service and the next service and the next service that, after that. I'm preaching all four services uh, today uh, and excited about all that he's doing. Um, I just want to say thank you to everybody that helped um, tear down all the Christmas decor and put it all away. Can we just give them a big round of applause? Thank you guys so much for taking your Saturday off and doing that. There's a lot of stuff to put away and... Uh, we're grateful for you and we're grateful for everybody that serves on team. And uh, man, there's just so many wonderful things happening that I'm, I'm excited for this year. In fact, um, later on tonight, uh, I just found out uh, that they're going to induce my daughter um, because they, they, need to, they need to evict the baby. And uh, so hopefully tonight, uh, we'll have one more grandson uh, with us tonight, between tonight and tomorrow. So would you pray, would you pray for Justine and for Anthony and for God's hand just to be upon them um, tonight. And man, we're so excited, we're so excited. But before we go any further, uh, I just want to encourage you. Uh, yesterday we had, man, a powerful time of prayer right here in the sanctuary. Our very first prayer meeting of the year. And now we're making them available to everybody in our church the first and the third uh, Sunday of every month. So it will be basically every other, I'm sorry, the first and the third Saturday. So it will be basically every other week on Saturday morning from 8 to 9. Would you come and pray with us? Would you come and bombard heaven with us and believe God for your families and your friends and, 
and for the breakthrough that you need. So prayer is an essential part of the Christian's life. I've always said to you that if you don't have a prayer life, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've always said that. And so if you're struggling in your prayer or you want to learn how to pray or you want to strengthen your prayer life, come. Pray with us on Saturday mornings. And then this, this the whole next week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're going to be praying. We're going to be worshiping. We're going to be coming together for one hour. And our worship team is going to lead us in worship the whole the whole time. But we're going to come before God and we're just going to pray. We're going to believe God uh, for some miracles that we need. I'm, I'm, I'm believing God for, for a miracle healing over my body and what, what, what's happening there. And I'm believing God uh, for all of you and your families, for God to open doors where you need open doors and to heal where he needs to heal. Are, are you tracking with me? And, and I just really believe that we need to bring these things before the Lord in prayer. Jesus said you have not because you ask not. And I want you to hear that, that I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that there are some mountains that, that people will ask to remove on your behalf. But there are some mountains that only move with your voice. Come on. Saying, mountain, be thou removed in the name of Jesus. Right? I need, I, I need to move forward into all that God has for me. So uh, get together with us as we come together in the Lord in prayer. Why don't, why don't we do that now? Why don't we just bow our heads for just a moment and close our eyes. And let's just give this next... 40 minutes to God and, and just honor him as he speaks into our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and I'm so grateful for every family that's here, for everybody who's watching online back at home who's not feeling well. Lord, I just pray, God, that you bless them and that you touch them, that you heal them. And, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us today for where we are in our walk with you. God, that you would strengthen us and encourage us that you would equip us and correct our, our direction if need be. Lord, I just pray that you have your way and dominion over my life. And Lord, I lift up Justine right now. I pray that you bring complete and, and total healing, Lord, to what's going on there. And God, that you would give us a, just a healthy baby boy tonight, Lord God. I just pray that, that you would make a way for that to happen. And continue to pray for my wife, for healing over her. Uh, God, that you would completely and totally heal her from her flu. And Lord, we thank you for that. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you were here with us last Sunday, if you have your Bibles or your apps or whatever you may have in front of you, op open up to Haggai, to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. And uh, we're going to go there. But today I'm going to introduce a lot, of, a lot of what I think is going to help you and I process next Sunday's sermon. So this is going to be a two-part message on Haggai. In fact, you and I are going to go through Haggai chapter 1 and chapter 2 and be done with the whole book of Haggai. And for some of you, that will be the first time you've ever finished a book in the Bible. Praise God. But it's going to be easy. It's going to be easy. But there's a lot of things to unpack. You know, I was looking back this week and, and my eyes still hurt. We probably studying probably four full days just on on, on what we're going to try to unpack today and next week. And my hope and my prayer is that we're able to, to extract um, the wisdom that we find in Haggai. I, I've never really, I've touched on Haggai, but I haven't really preached a whole message around Haggai. And, and I really love what God is doing in this book and in some of the books of the minor and, and major prophets that you'll see in the Old Testament. But last Sunday we finished the message by letting everybody know that God's not done with us yet, that he's not done shaping us and molding us, healing us and anointing us. And aren't you glad that God is still working in all of our lives? And I thank God that even though I've made some mistakes and even though I've fallen short in different times of my life and my walk with him, that his grace is sufficient, that he still loves us. Come on, he still loves you. And he continues to pour himself into us through his Holy Spirit with gifts of grace so that we can serve one another, so that we can build his house, so we can build and expand his kingdom. And we can honestly declare that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, who you and I are. And so this is a year that you and I build for legacy and we make room for more families and individuals uh, to find a parking space here on campus and more room in our kids' life buildings. And, and so we're glad that all of you have decided to join us today. And I want to take a little bit of time introducing um, you to a prophet by the name of Haggai. 
and the message that God would have Haggai proclaim in Israel. Because this is a really interesting time in Israel's existence. And if you'll lean in with me this morning, I'll try my best to unlock some of the details that, that, um, that's presented in a way that both helps you understand what's happening in the text and at the same time help you to apply the wisdom that's found in the text. And we need to begin with Abraham. And so I'm just going to kind of read through some of this stuff that I just kind of consolidated for your understanding. we got to begin with Abraham. He came from a pagan country and he was promised a place and a people by God. He said that if you'll go in this direction, I'll bless you. And Abraham gets up and by faith he goes in the direction that God tells him to go. And then you know the story. Miraculously, his, his wife Sarah um, was, had a miracle child by the name of Isaac. And Isaac became the father of Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And, and those 12 sons became the heads of the tribes of Israel. Being that there were 12 tribes in Israel. And then because of their disobedience to God. And they did what was right in their own eyes. They found themselves enslaved um, to Pharaoh in Egypt for over 400 years. And then we know that a man by the name of Moses was raised up. And God uh, spoke to him at the burning bush and, and commissioned him to go into Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And as God's people were released from Egypt and they were... Uh, coming through the promised land, they were able to establish the presence of God in a portable worship tent that we know uh, that becomes the tabernacle. Now, after entering the promised land, they were given three kings, each of which who led Israel for 40 years each. You had King Saul, who was the first king and found himself in trouble with God. And so God stripped his throne away from him. And raised up a young shepherd boy by the name of King David, who took out Goliath, right, and got in trouble with Bathsheba. And uh, God disciplined him, and yet David repented and made things right with God. And he became a man after God's own heart. And we know that uh, David and Bathsheba's first son ended up passing away, and the next son would become the next king. Of Israel, and his name was King Solomon. And Solomon wrote most of the book of Proverbs. There you go. And they each ruled and reigned the children of Israel for 40 years. And um, King David wanted to build a temple for God, but God keeps him from building the temple because God told David that you have too much blood on your hands. So the building of the temple isn't going to be up to you, it's going to be up to your son, King Solomon. And so David comes up with a massive offering. He presents a lot of stuff and he has a lot of things um, prepared for the building of the temple. But it was actually Solomon that ends up building the temple. And this new temple is where the Ark of the Covenant is, the place of the Holy of Holies. It's on, Mount, it's on the mountain there in Jerusalem. And it was extravagant. It was opulent. Um, it was their place of Worship. It was the place where they were able to bring their sacrifices and the atonement of their sin could be made. And um, this is when uh, things went downhill. Because after Solomon died, Israel was split into two different kingdoms. Um, the northern kingdom had ten tribes in it. And they were referred to as Israel. The southern kingdom had two tribes. And those two tribes were um, called Judah. And due to their disobedience, because again, they did what was, right, what was right in their own eyes. And you'll hear that language. Every time they get into trouble with God, the Bible would say things like, and they did what was right in their own eyes. And here comes God to discipline. And so due to their disobedience, the Assyrians, they attack Israel and the northern tribes were scattered and became known as the ten lost tribes of Israel. And even though the southern tribes saw this happen, they too continued to rebel against God. And many, year late, many years later, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. They decimated the temple and they deported all the Jews um, to 
to Babylon. And, and a lot of the Jews that you hear about that were in the 70-year exile or the exilic exile, as some um, scholars would, would label it, these 70 years have a lot of things happen within those 70 years. And you hear stories from Daniel. How many of you remember Daniel in the lion's den? Right, that, that happens in, within those 70 years. And then you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. That happened while they were in Babylonian captivity. And you've got Nehemiah right after the Babylonian captivity and wanting to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you've you got Ezra prophesying. You've got Haggai prophesying after they're released to go back to Jerusalem. And, and you've got Ezra in Babylon that, that's prophesying. There's a lot of stuff that's happening within those 70 years. And it's an interesting portion of, or an interesting, interesting time for the children of Israel. Um, being that they were in, locked up and enslaved in the Babylonian Empire, which today is modern day Iraq. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 17 through 21, the Bible says that in verse 17 it says, Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on, on young man or virgin or old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and all the treasures of the house of the Lord and all the treasures of the king and of his princes and all, that, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all of its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the king of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days that it lay desolate. It kept Sabbath. To fulfill 70 years. And again, this is a time period that's called the exile. But it was always God's plan to restore his people. And you need to hear that. Anytime in the word of God that you see people did what was right in their own eyes. It meant that they, they did wrong against God. And when they did wrong against God. God lifted his hand off of them and allowed them to be overtaken by their enemies as a discipline for leaving God and serving other gods. Everybody tracking with me? And so there's a lot to unpack in this story when you think about all those things that have taken place. Um, this is a time when in, in, within the 70-year captivity of Israel and all the tribes of Judah that... Jeremiah prophesies one of the most um, remembered scriptures uh, that many ministers and pastors use. In fact, this was the scripture that God really spoke to me about when I first went out to plant a church. And it was found in Jeremiah chapter 29. And, but I'm going to read starting verse 10, not 11, which is where I usually read from. But it says this, for thus saith the Lord, this is God prophesying. Through Jeremiah to the children of Israel that are in Babylonian captivity. He says, for thus saith the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place. Why? Because God is always wanting to restore his people back to himself. Whether it be Jew or Gentile, God is always looking to restore his children Back to himself. And you need to know that because sometimes we find ourselves in a really bad place because we've made a really bad decision. And then we allow the enemy to convince us that God doesn't want us back. That God is always making a way back for his children to come back to him. Because we serve a God of restoration. And so Jeremiah prophesies over the children of Israel and says that, when the 70 years are complete, um, he says, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. What place? Back to the place from which I took you, which was Jerusalem. 
And then he goes on to say one of my life scriptures. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me when you find me, when you seek me with what? All of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore you. I will restore your fortunes and I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Behold, I've got great plans for your life. Plans of hope and a future. Not plans to harm you, but plans to bring you back to the place of favor. Back to the place of blessing. Back to the place of victory. Back to the place of relationship. And God is the only one that makes that way possible. And this is the word that God would speak through the prophet Jeremiah and so the 70 years are completed now. And God allows the Persians to conquer the Babylonians. And he moves upon King Cyrus to make a declaration to allow some of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild their city. To rebuild their temple. To rebuild their community. And this is where the prophet Haggai is now introduced to us with two leading figures in Jerusalem um, to fulfill the plan of God in the rebuilding of the temple. The first, the first guy that's there, is, his name is Zerubbabel. Everybody say that. Zerubbabel. It's, it's kind of fun to say. Zerubbabel. And he was commissioned to help rebuild um, the temple back in Jerusalem. He was the governor of Jerusalem and a descendant of the last legitimate ruler of Judah by the name of Jeconiah. And Joshua was now the high priest. Not the same Joshua that, that uh, it's not the same Joshua that many of you might think of. It's another Joshua that would be uh, uh, commissioned to help rebuild the temple and the altar and so they can begin making sacrifices to the Lord. And so there was a lot of excitement while all this was happening. We know Nehemiah had gotten permission from the king to go back and, and to rebuild the walls. And so Nehemiah was constantly being attacked by the enemy as they were rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And you could read the story of Jeremiah and you'll find out that, that they have a shovel in one hand and a sword in another. In other words, they didn't get to stop building while they were fighting. They had to fight and build. Build and fight. So they had a sword in one hand and a shovel, a shovel in the other. And they wanted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because that would help bring security. And Zerubbabel and Joshua were commissioned to help rebuild the temple because this is the place where their sacrifices would be given. Atonement for their sin would happen. The presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant would be reestablished. And so there was a lot of stuff that was going on there. And there was a lot of excitement and they had a lot of zeal, a lot of passion to finish the work and to work hard. And two years later, they finished the foundation of the temple. And we can read that. And Ezra, so Ezra is telling you the story and Haggai is telling you what's happening in the background, okay? So Ezra, Ezra will tell you the story and Haggai will tell you what's happening in the background. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, this is where the work started gloriously. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and with the Levites and the sons of Asaph with symbols to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, of, uh, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever toward Israel. <laughs> Does that sound like an old song they used to sing? Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Where do you think they got that from? Right there. For his mercy endures forever towards Israel, 
Then all the people shouted with great shout, and when they praised the Lord because the foundation, they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So if you look at Jerusalem and you look at the Temple Mount, you look at all of those, um, uh, the foundation, which is actually, believe it or not, if you've never been there, if you were to lay it side by side, it would be 300-yard football fields side by side. That's how big Temple Mount is. And on this side of the Temple Mount, you had the place of the Holy of Holies. And what you'll see on the other side is you'll see the Rock of the Dome, which is where the Muslims go to worship um, uh, Allah, um, Muhammad. And so this is the same place that the children of Israel would rebuild the temple of God. And so this is where things take a turn for the worst. I apologize for all the history, but it's important that you know all of this to get a hold of what's going on here. And here's where things take a turn for the, the worst. In the book of Ezra, Ezra gives us some insight to what caused God's people to stop the work that God had called them to. And in Ezra chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, this is what the prophet Ezra says. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and the heads of father's houses and said to them, let us build with you for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses, these are all the elders of the, of, of the houses of Israel, uh, said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord. And the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Verse 4. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So what has taken place? There was a remnant that, that the king of Persia released from Babylonian captivity, and he allowed them to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. There was about 50,000 Jews that were de devoted to God, that he released to go back to Jerusalem and were commissioned to do the hard thing, which is to build or rebuild the house of God and rebuild Jerusalem and the broken walls. And here's where a lot of things took a turn for the worse. Because as they did this, it took them two years to lay the foundation. And their enemies tried to sneak in and want to be a part of the building process so as to hinder them from building it, but the people of Israel said, this is not for you to do. God has not called you to do this. God has not anointed you to do this. God has not ordained you to do this. God has called us, anointed us, and ordained us to rebuild the temple of the Most High God. And then their enemies, the enemies of the children of Israel, in verse 4, the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. Now, after the two years of that foundation being laid and those that were bribed that snuck in as, as evildoers for the next 16, 14 years, the house of the Lord would not be built would not become a priority for the children of Israel. And they began focusing not on God and not on the temple and not on all the things that, are, that go hand in hand with the temple, with the sacrifices, 
with the worship, with their sin being atoned for, for the blessings and all those things, they started to focus inward on themselves and on their community and they prioritized themselves and put themselves before God. Everybody tracking with me so far? Here's the first thing that I want you to learn out of this story. The first thing that I want you to learn out of this story is discouragement can lead you to prioritizing your disobedience. Discouragement can lead you to prioritizing your disobedience. I want that to resonate with you for a little bit. Because whenever you have a vision or you have a specific purpose that you're trying to complete, the moment discouragement takes place, it will cause you to prioritize your disobedience and get your eyes off of the thing that God called you to do, and you dismiss yourself from that to do something that God did not call you to do. I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you in these terms. It's like, how many of you made a New Year's resolution to go to the gym? You're laughing because a lot of you did. And the moment that you, you said last year, I'm going to commit myself this year. I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to get healthier this year. I'm going to do all these things. And then here comes Monday. And you don't feel like going to the gym. You don't feel like going to the, to, to, you know, waking up at 5 in the morning to hit the gym for at least an hour and a half. So you can come back and shower up and go to work and start your day. You get discouraged. And then in your discouragement, you stop doing what you know that you've said that you were going to do. You've allowed the discouragement to cause you to be disobedient to the thing that you said you were going to do. Is everybody tracking with me? And so discouragement can lead you and I to prioritizing our disobedience even with God. What it caused them to stop building what God had ordained and anointed and told them to build is that they allowed foreign voices who were not called to do what they were called to do to frustrate their purpose. The Bible even says that the people of the land, their enemies, bribed counselors against them. And what was said to them got in their heads and in their hearts. And as a result, the people became so discouraged that their focus turned away from their divine spiritual priority to a selfish focus. And the work of the temple ceased for the next 14 years. And what happens next is that they find themselves in a place of discouragement and that discouragement led them to a place of disobedience to God and God would not be mocked. Now you got to remember this. These are the people that were the 50,000 that King Cyrus God, the Bible says that God put into King Cyrus' heart to let them go, and he let them go to rebuild the house of the Lord. And after two years, and people getting into their heads, and people getting into their hearts, these foreign voices of the people of the land caused them to be disobedient to God and take their focus off of the kingdom of God and the things of God and put their focus back onto themselves. 1 Corinthians 15 58, Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Can I ask you this morning, church, who has gotten you so discouraged that it has caused you to rationalize disobeying God and stop working on the things that God told you to work on this year? Who has the enemy bribed in your life to counsel you to a place of disobedience? Because some of us need to learn how to discern between wise counsel 
and that will encourage you and someone who's been bribed by Satan to discourage you. Why, what has your faith so frustrated that you have decided to walk away from focusing on the divine priority that God has placed on your life to focusing on yourself? Psalms 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to those who have suffered disappointment and he saves those who are discouraged. But I believed that some people in this room right now or watching me online said that they were going to do something this year that God had put it on their heart to do and they've already allowed another voice, a foreign voice, a voice that was never called to build the temple, a voice that was never called to serve the Lord, a voice that was never called to praise God to get into their head and get into their hearts and stop doing what God told them to do. Who's gotten into your head? Because this is exactly what's taking place with the children of Israel. And I believe that you and I can glean and learn some biblical truth that is very relevant to us today. Because we serve in a society that when things get too hard, they just give up. Can I just say this? You'll never find a safe place in the kingdom of God. There are no safe spaces in the kingdom of God. There are only opportunities for you and I to walk through that God makes available to us to walk through because he has gifted you, he has anointed you, he has blessed you, he has set you free for a specific purpose. Why, oh why then, do some of us, after we've been saved, after we've been set free, after we've been blood-bought, after we've been forgiven, after we've been anointed, after the Holy Spirit deposits the gifts of his Spirit on us, why, oh why, will we throw in the towel to doing what God has called us to do? Because something else has become a priority in our lives, and it is not a divine priority, it is a selfish priority. And I believe that right now, that God has placed with inside of all of us a purpose that he's called us to pursue. A purpose to build something in his name. To build a family that would love him and worship him and serve him. But that takes the head of the house to lead people, in the, his family, into the presence of God. That would glorify him, that would serve him, that would worship him. Maybe God has called some of you to build a ministry that would serve his purpose through your lives. To build a business that would finance the expansion of his kingdom while still making you blessed. I believe that we've been called to build a legacy for our children. And our children's children. That would house the very presence of God. And that they could step into for their lives. When I look at our church, I'm always thinking about what Jackson and Brixton, and my next grandson, what are they going to grow up into? We're, we're building for Legacy Church. Come on, we're building for the next generation. We're building for our families. This church is a house of God. This church is a place where we meet with God, where we're discipled in Christ, and where we get to serve and exercise the gifts that God has put in us. But never allow the devil or anybody else to tell you that you can't do this or you can't do that. If God anointed you, if God told you, if God blessed you, if God called you, his word is going to see its way through. we got to stop listening to what the world says. And for some of you, Satan has bribed some people to say some things to you that are discouraging. But I want to challenge you to close your ears off to what everybody else says and focus on what God is saying to you. You know, ships don't sink because of all the water around them. Ships sink because of what gets inside of them. Don't let anything that's happening around you get inside of you and allow you or discourage you from doing what God has called you to do. You know, I was sitting with some of the guys at my house the other day, last year, <laughs> and, and they asked me a really, a really good question. We were sitting outside by, by the fireplace and they're like, you never feel like giving up? Like you've never, like in 30 something, you've never felt like giving up? And I'm like, No. Like, you, you, you've never felt like, like you don't want to do this anymore. And I told them, listen, as God is my witness, I have never, ever, ever wanted to throw in the towel 
to serving God. Not one time. And they're like, how do you do that? And I'm like, it's, it's actually really, really easy. And they're like, well, how? Because we see people, you know, that are on Dream Team, that are off Dream Team. They come on Dream Team, they go off Dream Team. They're, they're, they're here, they're there, they're everywhere. Like, how do, you, how, do you, how do you stay focused? And I'm like, because everything I do, I do it as unto the Lord. I love my church family, but I don't do it for my church family. Because my church family would never be able to repay me back for whatever I do for them. Everything that I do, I do it as unto the Lord for the audience of one. And because I do it for him and him alone, I'll never get burned out. I'll never get discouraged. I'll never want to throw in the towel. Because I'm not doing it for anybody. I'm doing it for him. I'm not doing it for somebody to pat me on my back and, 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 and go, hey, Pastor, good job. I'm, I'm not doing it for all the, I'm not doing it for the applause. I'm not doing it for any of that. All I'm doing it for is to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for him. And as hard as we work at building his house, and as hard as we work at loving God's people, we never get burnt out. Do we get tired? Absolutely. Do we get attacked? Absolutely. Do we go through difficult times? Absolutely. Do we get sick? Absolutely. But do we ever want to feel like giving up? Absolutely not. What am I going to give up to? What, what am I going to do if I'm not serving God? And to go back to rebuilding transmissions. Rebuilding transmissions is easy. It's people that are difficult. Come on, somebody say amen. So this, this world is just getting crazier and crazier. Right? But don't let what's happening around you get in you. Keep, keep him in you. Keep, keep the presence of God in you. Keep the joy of the Lord in you. Keep, keep what he's called you to in you. And don't let anybody take it away from you. Don't let, don't let Satan's spies discourage you. Don't let people of this land, these foreign voices, tell you any different. Serve God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And every single time you feel like throwing in the towel, and every single time you feel like giving up, and every single time you feel like stepping down from ministry, I would say to you, give God all the glory and go to God for the answer. Because you're going to feel things throughout your whole Christian walk with God. Don't let what happened to them happen to you. I want to encourage you this morning to learn how to guard your hearts from allowing the enemy to fool you into prioritizing your disobedience. Because sometimes what we use as an excuse almost sounds godly. But if you have a gift of discernment, you could discern the difference between something that's godly and something that's baloney. Never allow the lies of the enemy to diminish God's truth and God's joy that's already been established in your hearts. Church, we need to learn how to discern what the enemy is doing. We need to learn how to discern when it's a spirit that's at work. And somebody that we care about who's saying the things that they're saying to us that would discourage us from doing what we know that we're supposed to do. You should never allow what other people say about you or your family or your marriage or your Savior to lead you into prioritizing your disobedience. We need to stop creating opportunities for ourselves to escape the responsibility that we have in submitting to God. We've got to come back to the place where we carry our cross. We gotta come back to the place where we're building his house and fulfilling our purpose. We gotta stop camouflaging our disobedience by saying things like, well, this is a year I, I gotta work on me. It sounds good, but is it? This is a season that I need to work on me. Well, you can let God work on you while you're doing what God told you to do. I think we need to get back to our divine opportunities. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Never allow discouragement to cause you to disobey God. Because discouragement is a powerful tool of the enemy. If he can just discourage you in your marriage, if he can just discourage you in your finances, if he can just discourage you in your ministry, if he can just discourage you in what, what he's told you to do, then all of a sudden we can make up the excuse of why I can't do what God's told me to do. Right? Well, God's telling you to serve. Well, I don't know if I can serve. I don't, I don't know that I'm equipped to serve. You, you, well, well that, that's why you've got discipleship. That's why you've got training. That's why you do what you've been taught to do. Some of you, oh, I don't know if it's time to get married. Well, so you'd rather live in disobedience and fornicate than get married and make things right before God. Like, right? Don't, don't allow the excuses to cause you to disobey God. Somebody say amen. But, well, well, Pastor, we don't, we don't have enough money to get married. Don't worry. I'll marry you for free. It's not, a, it's not a big deal. We can do that. It's easy. We can do it. But Pastor, I'm, I'm saving up for a big wedding. Praise God. Well, let's marry you to make sure so that you're not living in sin. And then you can go have the big wedding. Like, we talk ourselves out of being obedient to God. I mean, God, God really gave me a great job on, on Sunday. And, and man, I'm blessed. Now, I won't be able to come to church anymore. But man, God's really blessed me. Do you really think that was God? If God gave you a job to make a lot of money to get you away from him. Like you can't discern the difference between God blessing you and Satan doing something and, you know, to pull you away from God. Like it, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Second thing is God's purpose must be prioritized over our personal pursuits. God rebukes the returning remnant for their misplaced priorities. This is where Haggai steps in. Watch this, Haggai 1, 1 and 2. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, and the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's not time yet. Not time yet. Here's another excuse for not rebuilding the temple, for not doing what God told them to do. It, it, just the timing is not right, Pastor. It's just, it's just not the, the time yet. And there may have been good reasoning why they might say this. Like the land, it was desolate for 70 years. It needed work. It was neglected, so it needed a lot of work. We know that the labor was, labor, the, the labor was intensive. We know that they didn't have a lot of money or manpower. That they suffered crop failures and drought and hostile enemies who resisted the work. So they had a lot of great reasons for why not do the work. But they were the remnant from, from Babylon. Hundreds. Thousands of them that returned. So, so get the picture. They were set free from Babylonian captivity to go and do what God called them to do. Kind of like the church today. We were all set free, right, from our sin from being in captivity to Satan, and then we've all been called to worship him and to build his house. That's why he released spiritual gifts into all of us, to equip the house, to encourage one another in the Lord, and to do what God has called us to do. Why would we listen to foreign voices to keep us from doing what God has called us to do? Let's keep it real. It's one of the most oldest excuses for why, for why not to do what God has called us to do. Haggai 1, 3, and 5 says this. Then the word of the Lord came uh, by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time? And this is where God corrects them. This is crazy. He says, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Have you considered your ways? Is God a priority? Does God come first or do we compartmentalize God into, okay, Sundays is for God. Monday through Friday is for my job. Um, Saturday morning is, is for me <laughs> and my family. And then Sunday, back to God. Isn't, isn't God with you at your job? 
Isn't God with you with your family? Isn't God with you when you're doing life together? Isn't, isn't God supposed to be in every part of our lives? He rebuked them because he says this. He goes, he goes you care more about your paneled houses. When he says paneled houses, he says, you desire to live in luxury over pursuing the plan and the purpose of God on your life. He set you free from Babylon to come and build his temple. And instead of building his house, you built your own house. And you're living in the lap of luxury, doing your own thing, while the house of the Lord is in ruins. Everybody tracking with this. This is where God's bringing correction to them. They were content on building their own house. And yet God wants them to go back to working on what he called them to work on. For some of you, he's calling you to work on your marriages. You've got devoted to help you. Come on. Somebody say amen. For some of you, 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 you've got to go back to working on your parenting skills. We don't have bad kids. We have bad parenting skills. We need to learn how to train up our children in the ways of the Lord so that when they grow up, they don't depart. For some of you, God wants you to work on your prayer life. He wants you to build your prayer life. For some of you, God wants you to work on your understanding of his word. 1 John 5.14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Maybe God wants you to work on stop, stop missing church so much. Football's not that important. He wants you to work on the knowledge of the word. You got RLU for that. He wants you to work on connecting with the family of God. Why well, don't I have any friends at the church? Well, go to life group and maybe you'll have some friends in the church. Are, are you hearing? Come on, is anybody hearing me this morning? Let, let, me, let me talk to some single people right now. Any single people in the house? Come on, if you're single and proud, come on, raise your hand. Come on. Can I say something to you real quick? Stop making <laughs> stop making people who only see you as an option your priority just stop it they don't want to be with you they're just they're just leading you on Stop making people that see you as an option a priority in your life. Start making God a priority in your life and all these things will be added unto you. Can I talk to some gym rats? Can I talk to some gym rats? You know who you are. Just can't miss the gym. Just gotta worship. It's a different kind of worship. 1 Timothy 4.8 says physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. That's the Bible. You got a problem with it, take it up with God. Haggai clearly states to God's people that they need to reconsider what they prioritized in place of God's purpose and come back to the place where God becomes a priority for them again. Right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6, And everything else will be added unto you. Third and last point before I close. Consider your ways. That's what God said through Haggai. Consider your ways. Haggai 1, 5 through 9 says, Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're still not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What is God saying? What God is saying is that as long as he never, as long as he doesn't, he isn't prioritized in your life, everything else that you go after will always lack in your life. That's what he's saying. He's saying anytime you put anything else before him in your life, if you put your wife before him, if you put your spouse before him, if you put your children before him, if you put your business before him, if you put relationships before him, if you put your ministry before him, guess what God will do? It will never be enough. It, you'll always be chasing 
more and more and more. But when God becomes the priority of your life and you surrender all things to God, I surrender my family, I surrender my children, I surrender my finances, I surrender my health, I surrender everything belongs to you. Then God pours out a blessing on you in such a way that you can't contain it because he's more than enough. God is always more than enough. Because God corrects misplaced priorities. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and on the hills, and on the grain, and on the new wine, and on the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all of those labors. God was the one that hindered their blessing because as they chased the blessing, they were walking in disobedience. But when they come back and reprioritize the Lord, God begins to pour out his blessing and his favor on all of them. Haggai chapter 12, or Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 and 14. The Bible says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, a high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, and the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke with the people with the Lord's message. And he, this is what the Lord's message is once they got, when they reprioritized God. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Shealtiel and the governor of Judah and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak and the high priest and the spirit of the remnant of all the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord, their God, host their God. This is when God blesses, when we are completely submitted to him. And how many of you by standing to your feet and saying, I'm gonna completely submit everything to the Lord, this year and say, God, it, it isn't mine. I'm focused on you. I'm prioritizing you. And I'm going to fulfill what you have called me to do because you are my priority. You are my number one. And if you don't move, I don't move. But when you move, I move with you because I know that you're going to give me dominion in 2024 and we're going to build a house of legacy. How many agree to that this morning? Would you raise your hands? Would you raise your hands this morning? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your sons and daughters, Lord, as we get our priorities straight at the beginning of this year, Lord, we will give to you first. Lord, we will honor you first. Lord, we will serve you first. And God, we will build what you have called us to build because this year we are building a house of legacy and we are preparing the way for the next generation and should you tarry the next generation after that. And God, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Come on, and the church shouted, amen. Come on, make some noise. Take